How you guys doing out there? Good? It's a great video. It wasn't what I put on, but that's a great video. <laughs> it has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about this morning. I hope the slides are up there okay. Both the videos I had didn't show, apparently. Listen, the first one was going to be on uh, History Channel. <laughs> Something of the History Channel. So uh, we'll get to it. How's everybody doing? Okay? Yeah, all right. Uh, we're uh, continuing our march through the book of Romans. We did three messages uh, under the banner of foundations uh, right before Easter. Uh, we're picking up again with uh, Romans. Uh, we're calling this part of the, the message series on Romans broken uh, because it's got some tough, sobering, but I think essential things to say about, uh, about our world. So we better pray before we, we jump in. God, thank you for your love for us. Thanks for the way you have uh, anointed Paul to lay out uh, this gospel, why we need it, uh, the state of mankind without you. Uh, we pray that you would help me to actually enunciate what you want us to hear this morning. May we have open minds and hearts to hear and to uh, know what to do with what you've given us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, you can pretend that you saw a little video from the History Channel. How many people actually tune in anything on the History Channel at all? Any, anything? A few? A few? The rest of you caught up in Big Bang Theory? Reruns of SVU? Or SUV, what do you call, I'll call it SVU. Anyway, maybe you're watching NCIS reruns. Uh, but for those of you who do tune in, you know this, that you, uh, you see every once in a while they'll do a chronicling, a chronicling of, of the rise and fall of some you know, ancient civilization, the Sumerians, Egyptians, Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians, right? Greeks, Romans. Uh, they talk about all that kind of stuff. And, and if you pay close attention, you kind of notice a theme. You never see the rise of some utopian society or culture that establishes a kingdom and just goes on forever. It's always the rise and fall. It's, uh, they either become extinct and become archaeological digs or they become backwater third world countries, right? They end up as documentaries on the History Channel or written about in books. They rise and they fall. Why, why, why is that? Why do they rise and fall? The video I had up here that I was going to show you was a little bit of a clip from a series that a fellow by the name of Francis Schaeffer did based on a book he wrote back in 1976 called How Should We Then Live? The Rise and Decline of Western Thought and Culture. And in his book and in his series, he attempted to show that history is determined not by geography, by location, not by biography, uh, anything about their key leaders, it's not about politics, how things are governed. It's not about economics, how they manage their resources. It's not even about their military prowess, how powerful or mighty they are. Francis Schaeffer argued, and we're going to find out that, that Paul has inspired, been inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down what God thinks as well, that uh, history is best interpreted theologically. In other words, the most important thing about a culture, about a kingdom, about a society, about a people is how it responds to the truth of the one true God. And if it responds correctly, then that culture, that kingdom, that people, that society is blessed. And if it rejects it, maybe puts man in the center of all action, uh, then that culture is going to begin to degrade and go downhill. As a matter of fact, when Francis Schaeffer taught about the rise and fall of Western civilization back in the 70s, it almost kind of appeared uh, prophetic at this point. He kind of compared us to the Greeks and the Romans, and he would lead seminars, and he would close the seminar by reading a text and then explaining it. And his text was the passage from Romans chapter 1 we're going to be looking at today, the inevitable death of a culture separated from God. 
Now, right before Easter, we, 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 we had a message where we, we showed you some, from Scripture some really important things uh, that everybody who's ever lived on planet Earth and everybody who ever will live on planet Earth and everybody who's living on planet Earth right now actually knows. And it also talked about how most people decide how they're going to handle that thing that they know. So if you've missed any of those three messages on Romans, I really encourage you to get the podcast, get the videos online, go back and watch those, because Paul is building an argument through these early chapters. Really helpful to get the flow and the logic. But the last time in, we, we found this, that God has revealed himself to every person who's ever lived on the planet through this thing that he made called the creation. And we found out that the creation tells us not everything about God, but it tells us about his intelligence and his wisdom and his benevolence and his power and his worthiness to be worshipped as God. And then we saw that most people, most cultures, most societies down through the ages opt to know that truth, but then suppress it, push it down. Uh, And they will not give God thanks. They will not worship God as God. Instead, man begins to start reasoning within himself, and he will end up inventing some other god. It could take the form of a, a man or a bird or a mammal or a reptile or something in nature, or, uh, or this is kind of maybe how you know that you've really gone down the tubes. If you've got a cat as a god, this is Bastet, the Egyptian cat goddess, right? Uh, but man, having rejected God, embarks on a path that ends up ruining the culture and those in it. That was Francis Schaeffer's thesis as he looked through time and history, and it's actually Paul's assertion as inspired under the Holy Spirit to write the book of Romans. This theme courses through all of Scripture, not just the book of Romans. So where does this lead? We're going to find out it leads to a really fancy-nancy word called reprobation. (laughs) Uh, Just basically means things get more and more evil, more and more demented, to the point where what is good is is considered evil and what is evil is considered good, where you know right and wrong, but you, all of a sudden you've lost control of what is right and wrong. That's, that's the basic idea of depravity or reprobation. Well, Paul told us last time that the wrath of God is revealed against man's unrighteousness. As man departs from God, God begins to move. Ultimately, of course, there's, there's hell, but God does everything along the path to prevent people from going there. And the wrath starts subtly uh, like this cat. See, I can, I can put cats in a favorable light once in a while. I don't always do it, but it's possible. Here's one. Subtle cat. Uh, What that means basically is that God kind of begins to just let go of the reins, and he lets people and cultures just go ahead and live out the untruths that they've invented, and he kind of hopes that the consequences from those actions will eventually cause them to kind of turn back to him. And every step in the downward spiral could be, should be, ought to be a sign to that person that society, that things have gone awry, and that maybe a change is in order. But when that doesn't happen, bad just gets worse and worse and worse. So from last time in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 23, we see that folks reject God and go their own way, and then God, in the verse we're going to look at today, starting in verse 24, we see that God also acts. And how does he act? He doesn't just throw down fire and brimstone. He basically removes the chain on the pit bull and lets them go where they want to go. Here's what it says, Romans 1, verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up. Gave them up means that God does nothing to restrain them. He lets them do what they want to do. 
Now, I think about the worst thing that God can do to a person or a culture is the judgment of, okay, your will be done. You don't like my will? Your will be done. I'll just watch you derail from over here. You just go ahead. Live out what you believe and we'll just see how you fare. We pretty quickly see where they want to go. Verse 24 goes on. Gave them up to, in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. See, man has a problem. Left to his own devices, he is controlled by that sin nature that he's born with. And it results in lusts and anger and violence and rebellion. We don't think about that stuff too much because we're kind of, it's just inherent in us. We don't really ponder it too much. Uh, we're just, we have, they have these bents that we come out with because of the sin nature we're born with. And that's why when you look at the study of history, what you see is violence and immorality and pride. It's just fallen man acting out what fallen men, people do. Now, can man be redeemed? Sure, by the mercy of God, by the salvation of the offered and forgiveness offered by Christ. And the Holy Spirit that comes in provides a new restraint on that person. Transformation of that person is possible, but lacking that. In judging a culture that has rejected God, God says, well, you've removed me. Fine. You do what you want to do. Your will be done. Just follow your instincts. Now, if you take a chain off a pit bull... That dog's going to have a memory of that chain and the boundary that he, that chain allowed him to go in for a time, right? He's, he's going to remember that for a time. But over time, he's going to discover a couple of things. The chain is no longer there. And the boundary is no longer there. And there's real danger in being outside when a pit bull is on the loose and it can do anything at once. Now, if you've got a pit bull that is the kindest, gentlest dog on earth, don't write me a letter. I, I'm, I'm making an illustration here because a rat terrier doesn't evoke much terror in the population. A cocker spaniel, not much. Okay, pit bull, you go with me on that one, okay? But this is what happens to any culture minus God. For example, uh, maybe your grandparents, great-grandparents, knew of a society in America where there was a much more devotion to God. And uh, they have a memory of what it used to be like in the 50s or 40s. But the kids raised in a culture where that no longer exists. So they begin to live out those freedoms, no boundaries. And God says he's going to give them over to this lack of restraint. Go ahead, do what you feel. If it feels good, go ahead and do it. Or in the immortal words of Steppenwolf, get your motor running. Head out on the highway, looking for adventure. Whatever comes our way, yeah, darling, I'm going to make it happen. Take a world in a love embrace. Fire all your guns at once and explode into space. Steppenwolf speaking out on our culture. We're just animals. We're just nature, evolutionarily involved. Let's get rid of these archaic notions of, of love and kindness and commitment and morality. Like nature's child, we were born, born to be wild. And God says, okay, okay, go for it. So God gives them up to follow their hearts. Those pitiful, pathetic, sinful, twisted, bent hearts. And it leads to the impurity, usually sexually, dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. See, man thinks he has all these freedoms, but it ends up in the final chapter just to be dishonoring. Isn't it kind of ugly that you have immorality running rampant and you have now kids being born with no dads? Isn't that sad? Isn't that kind of a comment on our culture? In the Roman culture, unwanted kids led to infanticide. In our culture, it's abortion. Men having sex with women that are not married to or committed to, they're dishonoring women. Killing our children, dishonoring to life. 
You don't feel like staying married? Hey, divorce that woman. Divorce that guy. Dishonoring of relationships. Hey, you don't have time to raise your kids. You got busy stuff to do. You got, a, you got other stuff you have to do. You got work to do. Dishonoring of family. God says, you go ahead. Operate on how you feel. You will have violence in your cities. Immorality and perversion in our homes. Begin to break down society in a way that will leave you dishonored. Are we being affected in our culture by such dishonor? Are we being affected in our culture by the hookup culture in our young people? Maybe you say, well, who, who's, 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 who's being hurt? You saw the stats maybe two weeks ago. 25% of our young people have STDs. 25%. When HIV reached 25% in Africa, the world banded together to do something to prevent that society from being wiped out. Is that happening here? Are we teaching abstinence, God's rules, God's ideas, God's freedom in, in our public schools? No, no, no. What's being offered in our public schools are how-to courses. How-to courses. Think we're suffering dishonor? George Harrison in The Beatles. In the 60s, he heard about this free love uh, idea out in Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco. So he took a trip out there to take a look at this, this wonderful new free culture. Yeah, in the 60s, we were going to get rid of all the boundaries all the strappings, age of Aquarius. So it made the 60s start off kind of ostensibly happy, right? Because it was so optimistic at the beginning. Like the French Revolution that got rid of God, we were going to find real meaning in just doing our own thing, being totally free of any shackles. So Harrison went out there. He came back and said, you know what it is? It's a bunch of dirty, doped out, dropped out kids. Not utopia. They're addicted, they're diseased, they're disgusting. There's poverty, there's pain. He said it was not pretty. It was dishonoring. In the 60s, our worldview changed. Didn't get any better in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to make our own laws up. We're going to do what we want to do. And you, you can try this if you want. Get yourself on top of a 10-story building because you don't believe in gravity, and you jump off. Because after all, you've got to write your own laws. You'll do what you want to do. Here's what's going to happen. You will have an immediate sense of euphoria, of weightlessness, right? It's going to be awesome, really satisfying there for a second. But it's only for a second. Then the natural law that you so despised, that you thought you could beat, catches up with you. And you find out that the law still exists whether you believe it or not. You find out you're not the arbiter of law. You're not the arbiter of right and wrong. And on your way down, you simply pick up speed until you hit bottom. God says, I'll give you up to your freedoms. Do what you want. And you will find out that you are an embarrassment to everyone around you. Your euphoria will end quickly. And then verse 25. Verse 25 kind of exchange is kind of, kind of uh, explains verse 24. They gave up God. God gave them over. And here's why. Because they exchanged the truth about God. Now there's a, a weird word in that sentence. It's a word that's so archaic we hardly ever use it today. The word truth. I mean, we're so postmodern. We're so enlightened. We don't need truth. Truth is what you want it to be. But Paul says there actually is a truth. Truth is what is infinite and eternal and immutable. It does not change. It is non-negotiable. Truth about God is true. When you obey his word, things go better. It lines up with reality. You become the man you were meant to be. You become the woman you were meant to be. You become the kid you were meant to be. You become the citizen you were meant to be. You become the neighbor you were meant to be. Pragmatically, it makes sense because it's based on truth. Instead, people exchange the truth of God for what? 
verse 25, a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. They exchange the truth and they get a lie. The creator who predates the creation, who sets above it all, who's eternal, they had something incredible, awesome. But they throw it overboard and they buy into the lie. And in that context, you take God, throw him out, and you create something else that you're going to consider the, the, main, the main thing, a man, a force, an animal. And it doesn't matter whether you're a polytheist, a pantheist, an agnostic, an atheist. It's all the same, basically. It's the exaltation of some finite thing instead of the thing that is infinite. And it's called a lie. And when you step out on a lie, you get hurt. If I'm blind and I'm walking down the street, let's say I'm walking on, on the stage and I'm headed towards this, this drop-off here. And I don't see it, but you come up to me and say, hey, Dwayne, wait, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's a, there's a, there's a big drop-off in front of you. But if you go over here to the stairs and come down the stairs, you can, get, you can get to where you're going safely. Now, that's the truth. And if I follow the truth, I don't get hurt. But if somebody says, no, there's no drop-off, go ahead. That is a lie. And if I follow that lie, I'm going to get mangled, right? I'm going to get hurt. And that is the brilliance of Satan. To make a bad thing good and a good thing look bad. Remember what he said to Eve in the garden? Did God really say that you can't eat of any fruit of any tree in the garden? Oh, no, 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 no. He didn't say that. He said we could eat of every tree, the fruit of every tree in the garden, except for that one over there. But if we eat of that one, we're going to die. And then let's see what Satan does. Well, that's not true. That's not true. You're not going to die. God knows that in the day you eat of it, you're going to be like him. You'll know good and evil. He's just trying to keep you under his thumb, trying to keep you down. So he, he will tell you that the best thing for you is for you to make up your mind what you need to do. Why do you have to listen to God? Do what you want to do. So she goes, okay, I'll look at the, look at the tree. Looks good. Looks like it's really good. Sweet smell. She takes it and eats. Brilliant. You got to hand it to Satan. Makes God a great thing, a bad thing. Something you should run from. Something you should hide from. Something you should rebel against. And he makes the bad thing, something that causes death, look really good. Guess what? Satan has never changed his modus operandi since because it works so well. History is not that complicated. History is just not that complicated. You will live what you believe. And if you believe in a God, in an infinite personal God who sent his son to die for your sins, Good things are going to happen. You reject that, you put something else in its place, you will become a horror. Paul says, let me just give you some examples. He's got a bunch of them here, but he just picks one out of the list to kind of show you how things can go off the rails. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up. Again, just letting them go with their natural tendencies as sinful people take them. Gave them up to dishonorable passions. The word for is pretty important. It's how we know that we are enduring the wrath of God, that, is, that we are a culture living in decline. And beyond just misusing sex in general, it continues to go downhill, and his example here is of lesbianism and homosexuality. Paul lifts that out simply as one sin, because everybody can see what that is. He's got a bunch more in verses 32 and 30, 30 to 32, we'll get to those in a minute, but this one's pretty easy to spot. When you look at the cultures of the world, it's kind of a signature thing. Sodom and Gomorrah had it. They got destroyed. The Benjamites did it in Judges 18. They got wiped out. The Canaanites in Leviticus, they were destroyed. When the culture goes this far and acts according to not just what is wrong, but what is unnatural, 
Now, we went through two weeks on this subject of same-sex attraction right before we did this Roman series, just so I didn't have to stop and do that big lesson now. But if you uh, have any questions about what the Bible says about homosexuality, we have two of those messages, same-sex um, same sex one and two. Uh, first one, we just talk about what the Bible says, and the second one, we talk about how is it that we are as Christians to deal with this issue? How are we to love on people in a way that allows us to be, to minister to them, and to basically say, you know what, homosexuality is not any different of a sin than you and I have. We all have got sins, and Christ died for all of them. But essentially, a man and a woman have a natural creativeness for each other. They're sexually, physiologically you know, built for each other. Sperm and the egg, cytologically, in the cell level, are built for each other. Woman has a uterus, can attach the egg, bring it to fruition, expel it, give birth, has an instinct to mother it. It's nature that God put into place. It's the way God designed things. Not good for man to be alone either. So God takes a rib, fashions a woman out of her. Man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. Natural way. When a culture goes against that, does something that's not just immoral but unnatural, Paul says, hmm, you can tell that you are under the wrath of God. You are experiencing the wrath of God, just pulling back and letting you go wherever you want to go. And just in case there's any confusion about what Paul is saying here, he goes on. For their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Paul, on one of his missionary journeys, had visited the island of Miletus and Lesbos. He had seen this behavior firsthand. And people wonder all the time, why? Why does Paul put lesbianism before male homosexuality here? You know what some people believe? Normally in a culture, women will have, uh, kind of hold the moral high ground. A woman will sometimes not do what a stupid guy will do. The Greeks thought that women uh, possessed a higher level of decency. Women, they thought, would not do the dumb stuff that guys would do. Uh, that's why executions of women are much more rare than that of guys. You know, in Israel, women now serve in their armed forces. You know that, right? They carry guns like the guys. But in the beginning, they had real problems with the gals. Because in, in the battles, they found out in a training that a woman will simply forsake all sense of herself and lay down her life for the sake of all those around her. The women now carry weapons. You know what they have to do? The Israelis have to train that instinct out of the women. So they don't just basically sacrifice themselves. They have a maternal instinct. The Greeks called it storge love, maternal instinct. So women historically have held the high ground. So if you see a guy walking down the street and he spits on the street, you go, ugh. Then you think, oh, sure, it's a guy. You see a woman do it, and you kind of know something's a little bit askew because women don't traditionally do that knucklehead stuff. He goes on, talk about the guys. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men. Greek text is actually a little more graphic. The word uh, shameless is actually the word aschema, which means something that is ugly, something that has no symmetry, something that is disordered or distorted or indecent. Um, which is why, I mean, you go to the mall and you see you know, two males cuddling or two females cuddling, for most of us, your natural instinct isn't, oh, how, how cute. How cute is that? For most of us, there's a certain kind of a, a, a kind of a drawing back because you recognize what is natural and you recognize that that is not natural. Again, already covered how we Christians are to relate to and minister to the gay community. Those two earlier messages on same sex, get them if you have any questions. Uh, we're not to make snide comments. We're not supposed to roll our eyes. We're supposed to love on, find ways to relate to. You should have friends who are gay. You should be having dinners with them. You should be hanging out with them. Only way to reach them with Christ 
is to be Christ in their lives. There, there are a lot of cultures that basically hate this and they're doing all kinds of terrible stuff. For example, in Iran today, routinely, gays are hung. In Chechnya, I just saw two weeks ago, they are now rounding up gays and putting them in special camps. I am not recommending any of that, okay? But Paul's simple word for it is it's a schema. It's unnatural. It's a little bit, it goes against natural order. It's not right, right? And it says they receive in themselves, in verse 27, the due penalty for their error. It simply states that people who practice this won't come out on top at the end with this freedom that they're using. They're going to be hurt, domestically, morally, physically, perhaps. Let me just say for a second. Does the Bible talk about the conversion of and the transformation of the homosexual? Absolutely. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is, mentions homosexuality, and, he's tra- and, and he says, look, as such, he's talking to the Christians here, as such were some of you. Some of these guys and gals had been temple prostitutes, right? But you have been washed. You've been declared righteous in the blood of Christ. You are being sanctified, being made holy. You can change. God can take an immoral, heterosexual, and a homosexual, and a thief, and a liar, and a gossip, and a glutton, and he can save them and bring them under his reign and rule and increase their holiness. He can save them all. He died for all sin. No sin is unforgivable, right? Sin is sin. Jesus died for it all. Verse 28. The consequences continue to pile up. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, they just philosophically bumped God off the, off the uh, discussion. I mean, they're way too smart for God, right? Sound familiar? We're not going to put those Ten Commandments on our county signs. We're not going to pray in schools. Now, I was asked to attend a promotion ceremony for a really good friend of mine who was being promoted, and they had a big uh, ceremony at the Pentagon. He wanted me to come and, and pray for, for him at that session. So I, I said, sure, I'll be happy to do that. Now, I get in the, the thing, and the, I get all the uh, high officials are kind of talking about how this thing's going to work and whatnot, and here's what they told me. I said, okay, now, when you, when you pray, Pastor, you can say God all you want, but just, just don't mention the name of Jesus. Because there might be people here who don't believe in, in that particular deity, and we don't want to offend anybody. So Jackie was there, and you can ask her when she recovers from surgery in the next week or two. I pray for my friend in the name of Jesus Christ, <laughs> loud and proud, come what may. So our culture doesn't want to retain the knowledge of God in our thinking. You know, you know the French during the revolution tried to get rid of the seven-day week. Do you know that? They wanted a 10-day week. Why? They did not want their weeks to kind of match up with God's story of how he created the universe. Let's make it a 10-day week. They also wanted to get rid of the calendar. They hate this before Christ and after Christ thing, A, B, C, and A, D. Look at your calendars. Did it work? No, it didn't. <laughs> but our culture is trying to do the same thing. Can't mention Jesus as God in the classroom, but hey, we'll spend a lot of time learning about Islam and Allah, the God they invented. What's the result? Because they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. He gave them a failed, demented, debased mind. It's like, I'm going to run my car without oil because I don't believe in oil. It's kind of dirty and slimy and filthy and I don't want to get it on my hands. Too greasy, too nasty. I'm just not going to put oil in my car. That belief will fail you. Your car will seize up. It will be good for nothing but the junk pile. So our culture is so smart, we're not going to retain God. So God says, go ahead. Run your culture without the oil of me. The result? Verses 29 to 31. Here's what happens with a culture that does this. Eventually, they were filled 
with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. You know, if you kind of took that back and sort of said, well, what would it, if you kind of imagine what a culture would look like when that's the, those are the defining aspects of it, wouldn't you just say, that culture's in ruin? It's in ruins. It's called ruin. The entire culture begins to implode. Look at those lists. It takes practically every area of culture. Marriage, morality, business, truthfulness, relationships, your own psychological well-being, how society works, how government works. Every single aspect of the culture begins to freeze up and implode. Final summation is verse 32. Paul is saying, look, a culture, you can watch. You can watch it happen. You know a culture is experiencing God's wrath when you see these things take place. Three things. One, though they know God's decree, so they're not ignorant. They know God's decree that people who do these things deserve to die. They're not ignorant. They know. They're acting with knowledge. Just like any young guy who wanted to date one of my daughters knew he was not to do certain things with my daughters. He may not have been able to show you a Bible verse, but he knew. You don't do that. You know, you don't make a promise to someone and renege on it. You know, you don't owe somebody stuff and not pay them back. You know, you don't jump on someone and beat them and take their money. You know, you're not supposed to break into somebody's house and steal their stuff. You know, it's wrong to rape somebody, shoot somebody on the sidewalk as you drive by. You know that. It's not right. Everybody knows that. And you know how we know that they know? Because they would think it's wrong if somebody did it to them. So try as we might, we cannot escape the fact that we are made in the image of God. We know what's right. We know what's wrong. It's why Voltaire said, look, if there wasn't a God, we'd have to invent one because man needs, requires, looks for a moral base from which to operate. Paul says, just like everybody knows about God through creation, everyone knows the decrees about God, what's right and wrong. And it gets worse. Not only do they do them, they do the wrong things. They know what's right and they purpose to do the wrong stuff. It makes them worthy of judgment. They do it anyway. What they themselves know is wrong, they do. They are committing philosophic suicide. They know what's true. See, even headhunters don't want their heads hunted. (laughs) Right? Thieves don't want you stealing the stuff they've stolen from them. They know that it's wrong. They know that it's wrong to steal, but they don't like their stuff stolen, but they do it anyway. Not only that, they give approval to those who practice them. They will applaud in the arts. Perversion. They will scorn the whole notion of God. Has this happened in our culture? When a culture becomes topsy-turvy? When Playboy can go on a college campus and publicly advertise, hey, girls come and strip, we'll take your pictures, maybe you can get fame that way, and our culture will applaud it? If you want to broadcast your penchant for doing what is not only immoral but unnatural, what goes against God's design for mankind, our culture will applaud that? And should somebody speak out God's truth on the matter, man, that is the person who's the hate monger. That's the person the culture will scorn. Says Paul says when a culture gets to the point where it will embrace error and applaud it, encourage it, and blast those who actually speak God's truth, you know that your culture is experiencing God's wrath. And folks, this is the story of mankind. Paul knows what he speaks. He was watching it happen in his day. 
living in the midst of a degrading, declining, decrepit culture. Even though he's a Roman citizen and a Jewish by birth, he was living in a culture headed for the precipice. He stood and declared mankind's need for Jesus Christ, no matter the cost. So we come back to this. Question Francis Schaeffer asked, how should we then live? We Christians need to be Paul's. As followers of Christ, we need to make a difference in people's lives. We need to make a difference in the life of our culture. You know what? Under Paul, churches spread like wildfire. Christians, even though they were under persecution, believers came by the throngs. At some point, the whole Roman Empire became Christian. We don't have to jam the gospel of Christ down people's throats. We just have to be willing to share it. Engage with people. Talk with people. Ask them what they believe. Ask them why they came to that conclusion. Share what you believe. They also should see the truth of the gospel played out in your relationships. They should see how they treat your husband, how you treat your wife, how you treat your kids. It should be different than what the world is doing out there. Right? They should see that if you borrow money, you pay it back. They should notice that you don't slander people behind their backs. They should notice integrity and honesty such that no one else has. So that they'll want to do business with you better than anybody else. They should see you not goofing off and shafting your bosses. They should see you love your friends, but you know what? They should see you love even more those that aren't your friends. We hold the moral high ground in our culture. We are the Christians. We have the truth in a dying world, in a crumbling society, in a failing culture. We're the church, the body of Christ, in a fallen world. They've got to see us being different They've got to see us being joyful, even as we are sacrificing and giving of ourselves to those in need. They should be impressed enough by the God operating in you and through you that they want to explore, what's the deal? What is the deal with you and this God of yours? May we be that in our day. Let's pray.